Welcome to the Alliance Party After Dark, a podcast for the politically aware brought to you by the Alliance Party. Content for this episode was recorded on May 2nd, 2020. And a good evening to you. I'm Dan Schaefer, producer of the podcast. This evening, we're talking with two candidates up for election this November. Sarah Work, who's running for state senator in District 14 of South Carolina, and Brad Svensson, who's running for U.S. Representative from the 2nd Congressional District in Minnesota. We'll talk about the issues they plan to address and the special challenges they face during the most difficult year for running for office in the grip of a pandemic. We'll start with Sarah and her campaign for the South Carolina State Senate position. Now, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you'll recognize Sarah from an earlier podcast entitled, What's It Like to Be a Candidate?, where Sarah discussed her experiences of running for office, specifically for state treasurer of South Carolina, and she shared her experiences and wisdom collected along the way. Well, she's back now, running for a state senator this time, against the Republican incumbent. Sarah is in a CPA, a certified public accountant, a position that requires honesty, a dedication to ethical behavior, an objective mindset, a strict adherence to confidentiality, and above all, a strong sense of professionalism. Throughout Sarah's career, business owners, families, and not-for-profit organizations have trusted her to prepare accurate financial reports, provide advice on questions of business development, assist with tax planning and preparation, and address notices from state and federal agencies. This experience has provided her with a broad understanding of government systems and public relations. Sarah, welcome back to the Alliance Party After Dark. It's a thrill to be talking with you again. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me again. I appreciate the opportunity. So a lot has happened since we talked last November. During the end of the holidays, we started hearing about a new potential pandemic. Unfortunately, the early warning signals were largely ignored by a lot of people up and down the political spectrum. And now that it's landed on our shores, it's wreaking havoc on the personal lives of a lot of people, as well as our economy. Overnight, the world has changed in ways we couldn't have imagined just a few months ago when we last talked. And as a result, there's a lot more scrutiny being applied to our political system. And questions are being asked, like, how are we going to work a way out of this health crisis? Or how are we going to get restarted with our economy? And now lots of people are talking about a new normal, whatever that means. So in the midst of all this, I heard that you had decided to run for a state legislative position, and personally, I'm loving it. I'm glad that you're making this decision because uh, I, I believe you can make a powerful difference. But if I may ask, have recent events prompted you to take on this new challenge, or is this something that you've been pondering for a while? Um, so I've learned running previously that I wanted to I wanted to run in another race. Um, I definitely want to run for South Carolina State Treasurer again. Uh, and I, in order to keep my feet wet, I guess, and so not just get my feet wet, but keep them wet, I was, my intention was to run in another race in the interim between my first and second attempt at uh, South Carolina State Treasurer. So when the filing deadline was drawing near, I kind of pulled up all of the all of the constituents or the um sorry the candidates in my constituency for different offices, mm-hmm. and was looking at who was opposed and who was unopposed. Um, and so my initial my initial thought was to run for the general assembly or the South Carolina State House. Uh, but that that uh, incumbent has already, had already had a challenger uh, apply for you know represent you know, apply for the ballot. So mm-hmm. 
I was like, hmm, no, well, don't want to do that one. I don't want to be the third leg in, you know, in a three-legged race again. Mm-hmm. So um, I, wanted, I really wanted to run against somebody who was who was unopposed. So there were two races that were that had popped up on my radar. One was for county council, and the other race uh, was for South Carolina Senate. And it's funny though because we kept, I kept getting calls, um, like just random robocalls you know, asking, encouraging folks to run, run for South Carolina Senate. Hmm. So uh, I was like, well, that's kind of odd. Like the day, the day I made the decision, um, I got another one of those robocalls, even though I had not applied yet. Um, It was just really random. But in evaluating which race to run in, the county council position or the South Carolina Senate position, I was discussing with my husband, the contenders. So in the uh, county council position, it's a, a woman here in uh, York County, and uh, she's done some, you know, I didn't have a personal biff with her or anything. It was just that she was running an opposed that drew my attention to that race. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people think that she's doing a good job, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't um, you know, say yay or nay to her, her job, just that she's doing the job she can. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then the other, the other race was, um, against a 40-year incumbent of the South Carolina State Senate. He's actually the president of the South Carolina State Senate, and uh, he's he's been in office for 40 years, had no inclination to run for another office, um, you know, thought basically just park, has parked himself in the South Carolina Senate for 40 years. Um, and actually, um, I uh, someone had forwarded me an article about, you know, with the, with the government being, you know, in the sense, in essence, shut down as far as like physical contact. They've also shut the spring session of the state legislature. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know about you, but I've been doing a lot of Zoom meetings. And mm-hmm. um, it's my understanding that, you know, the Senate and the House could have been doing Zoom meetings and could have broadcast them on South Carolina public television. Uh, but, you know, they decided not to. So it's one of those things where I don't know if it's just they didn't have the technical know-how. You know, after 40 years in the Senate, you don't think about thinking outside the box, like the little, the literal room that you sit in to legislate. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just one of those things that I was, you know, I think that I think that they do need some new blood. Uh, so, anyway, I was discussing this with my husband and and my my 11 year old uh, overheard the conversation, and mm-hmm. she said, well mom, it's obvious who you need to run against. Wow. <laughs> I, was like, okay. I was like, oh, is it, is it that obvious? And she's like, yeah, the old guy. And I know that I shouldn't call him old, but, um, you know, after <laughs> well, he's 40 been years, at it for 40 years. So yeah. Put two yeah. And two so, together. Um, right. And, um, but for an 11 year old, he's definitely, you know, he's definitely a little bit older. So, um, but it's one of those things that, um, it was just, if it's if it's that obvious to an eleven year old, it should be pretty obvious to anyone. Mm-hmm. So, okay, yeah, he has uh, been at it for forty years now, and that's a really long time. So, um, yeah, he's very entrenched. And uh, so, um, when you made the decision to run against him, though, I mean, what? Uh, um, uh, obviously, you have the the advantage of of being the new person, the new blood. Uh, new thinking, uh, but what other sort of advantages do you bring to this race then? I think that 
one of the biggest advantages is that I, I mean, he's very, he's very entrenched in, in the, in the uh, Republican party after the shootings in Charleston, Mm -hmm. he was one of two senators uh, who voted to keep the Confederate flag on the state house. Uh, I think the the quote is he was afraid it would incite racial tension. Mm. Uh, So it's, I think that, if I were to be elected, and I do hope that that is the case, I wouldn't. I would be. I would be a representative for everyone. You know, I understand that after you know, given given the the age in which he grew up, um, that might have been the perspective, but it really isn't any longer. And and I think that we need. We really need to modernize the South Carolina Senate you know, both technologically and ideologically, mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that could be happening now that aren't because, you know, because of the government being uh, shut down, basically. Right. As far as the legislative session, the legislative session is concerned. Right. So uh, it's one of those things where I just think that if you don't let, if you don't let the next generation lead, then, then there will be no opportunity for growth, expansion, new ideas, uh, new theor- not even like there's not even opportunity to theorize about what, you know, what potentially could happen mm-hmm. if you let someone, you know, if you not even not let, quote unquote, but you know, if you elect someone sure. to basically fill that, you know, to take on that position and and bring those ideas to the house and senate. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. It's time for time for something new, and and uh, you know we can take a look at how things have worked out so far, and say, well, you know, it's uh, not necessarily working out to the best for everybody involved. So maybe it is time right. to get some new ideas in there. Sure. Right. So and it's definitely. I mean, it's an old. It's a boys' club down there. They. I mean, we need more women in office. Yeah. Yeah. More new thinking and yeah, mm-hmm. diversity. So what yep. uh, what other what does say if you get enumerated just a, a few of your biggest issues <clears throat> that uh, resonate the most in your district and what do you plan to address in the legislature? Well, I think I think let's see uh, there's so that's part of the problem uh, with my district is that I live very close to Charlotte, uh, basically like twenty minutes twenty minutes. To the border of North Carolina, the district is so gerrymandered. So the the core of the district uh, that I'm in is is a very rural county, mm-hmm. and it is it is where the incumbent lives. Uh, it is very farm centric and uh, rural. Not I mean they don't they they tend it, like I said it's very it's very country, and the way the district is gerrymandered it follows it like takes this like finger and follows the state line east to charlotte and then it follows like then it goes has like a finger south into towards union south carolina and then has like this other little finger towards spartanburg uh, south carolina so it's 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 very gerrymandered it looks weird and, and and i don't understand why the district was drawn this way other than political oh, reasons course, yeah because um, because there's not a lot that this like this far east into you know towards towards Charlotte has in common. You know we've got bankers, we've got 
you know, uh, professionals that go into Charlotte and work, uh, work across the state lines mm-hmm. versus, you know, very rural South Carolina, very country, very um, farm centric mm-hmm. kind of a situation. So I also, um, I have been to the, uh, last year I went to a parade in Gaffney, which is in Cherokee County, which is the, the heart of this district. And I, I was surprised at, at, at the poverty I saw. Um, you know, Gaffney, downtown Gaffney is, um, it could use, it could, you know, how so many communities are having like this surge in downtown um, rejuvenation and such like that. I didn't really see that in Gaffney, uh, which is, which is the heart, really the heart of Cherokee County. And, and that's, I think, part of, part of that rural kind of uh, sense that, you know, those really those, those city centers are kind of dying. And I think that that's, that's part of what I'm going to have to address in my campaign is really helping those smaller communities have a second, basically a rejuvenation and kind of modernize their economies. So that's one of the things that uh, I've done a lot of research on um, making sure that rural communities have broadband because the, you know, the taxes are, are less expensive and, uh, especially in South Carolina, we've got really great kind of tax structure. If uh, We can get into that another time, but the um, property tax taxes specifically are, are a lot lower. And it, if you have low property taxes and a great, you know, telecommunic telecommunication infrastructure uh, with broadband or internet or even 5g, mm-hmm. it really like holds, it pulls businesses like it attracts businesses because their, you know, their energies are usually about moving informa- information, moving and moving quickly. Sure. So if you can do that in a setting where taxes are low and access to information is high, it would help, you know, kind of stabilize and, and pull up the community around it. So okay. I'm hoping that we can use that as kind of a, as a way to get our foot in the door and, and really, really bring about us like a rejuvenation of, of Cherokee County. That's interesting because we had a uh, podcast uh, that aired on uh, March 8th. Um, it was titled The Historic Restoration Projects for Our Collective Soul, uh, where we talked with Michael Bedenbaugh. He's the executive director of Preservation South Carolina, and he talked uh, extensively about uh, rejuvenating some of the uh, some of these small the buildings in some of these smaller towns and making them uh, fit for um, um, occupancy again for businesses or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. and it really has a reflection on the, the town itself and how it can rejuvenate the town and, and bring new life into the town and, and uh, raise the standard of living for everybody. Right, exactly, absolutely. Great. So um, we may see, uh, it's campaigning. Uh, you touched on this quite a bit already, campaigning and, and, and governing is, is um, obviously different now in, in light of this pandemic, and it doesn't look like mm-hmm. this... Uh, this uh, age of social distancing is going to go away anytime soon. So, um, what do you, what what changes are you making to your you know, traditional way of campaigning to get your message out there? Well, I mentioned earlier that I, I really like to go to parades and uh, like church festivals and and like area festivals. Like there's a there's a huge peach festival in Gaffney, 
at the end of the summer and that I'm not going to be able to go this year. I doubt that it will be, I, I'm, I'm, I don't know for sure, but I'm, I think that they'll probably either reduce it significantly or limit it. Uh, so that, that is going to be a big challenge because that's usually where I tried to get into each of the communities. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've shifted a little bit and I'm trying to do more networking with people on social media. And also uh, I have volunteered to, to help with Meals on Wheels in Cherokee County. Uh, like I said, so much of the district is specifically in Cherokee County that I, I really need to, to meet with constituents in, in that area specifically and understand and be able to address their needs, concerns, and what they what they need in order to be successful. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's just, it's, it's going to be a lot different. So if anybody knows anybody in Cherokee mm-hmm. County, I would love an introduction. Okay. Yeah. That is difficult. And I think it's, uh, it's really, um, I don't think uh, the main political parties have really caught up with reality yet on this, that it's, um, it's going to be completely different campaigning this year. And uh, yeah, those who get who, those who can get out in front of it and uh, and master this new way of campaigning, at least just for mm-hmm. this election cycle until this pandemic is behind us, um, right. uh, they're gonna they're gonna do pretty well, I think. I so, so the uh, the Alliance Party uh, uh, talk a little bit about the party itself. Um, as you know now that we now have a, a presidential candidate, Rocky De La Fuente, and Vice President mm-hmm. uh, Darcy Richardson. Um, mm-hmm. How is this, or has it had an effect yet on your local race, or are you getting a lot of questions about it from people? Uh, I haven't got a lot of questions yet because it's so new. Um, I think that with Rocky and Darcy just being confirmed, it was last Saturday, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Uh, it that there it's because of because of COVID the uh, the media hasn't really even been paying attention. Also, you know with the Democratic uh, candidate being charged of sexual assault and all that kind of stuff. So I think that there are juicier, hotter kind of topics for the media right now. And also in South Carolina, we are in the midst of trying to figure out how to get through the primary uh, elections for those who have uh, contenders in their own party so uh, or opposition in their own party. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things where, you know, I don't think that I'm sure that those who are familiar with politics are aware of it, but I don't think that they're the ones that are making the decisions about what gets airtime. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've not, I've really, besides, you know, my own family and some folks on Twitter who follow the Alliance Party, I've not really had any conversations about, you know, who, what, when, where, why. So, uh, other than that, I mean, I haven't, I haven't yet, but I'm, I'm, I am preparing myself for those questions. And, you know, one of the, another one of the big issues that we have in South Carolina is, you know, people who vote straight party. Mm-hmm. So um, you're still allowed to do that in South Carolina and it makes, and it is challenging because, because so many people feel that, you know, they wear the tribe colors and they wear them loud and proud. So trying to convince people that, maybe maybe choice your choice should be more about the individual and what has the incumbent versus the new candidate for office to 
offer mm-hmm. in the position that is being sought. Yeah. It's interesting. I was I was doing some digging on uh, ballot history uh, way back to the very beginning, and it it, uh, it turns out that the parties themselves actually created ballots, and they would just hand you their ballot on your way to the to the polling place, and you could just you know write your name on that ballot as the voter and submit it, and that was perfectly legal. And so, uh, the modern day version of that now is the government does it by simply allowing you to vote straight ticket. Um, and that's uh, that's a bit unfair. Uh, it, it's it's very limiting for people. And I know that in Texas they just got rid of that. So uh, right. hopefully they'll do the same thing in South Carolina soon. Yeah, this, that's one of the issues that I'm trying to push. So I want because of the census this year, it's the perfect year to be in to be in legislation um, in order to to end gerrymandering. Mm-hmm. My district is a, is a prime example, and we have several districts. Actually, I think all of South Carolina is is very um, puzzle pieced up, and uh, I think we need to end. We, that's one of the, that's one of the core things I'm running on. Obviously, term limits. It's, and every time I talk to someone, they say absolutely, term limits are a must for the legislature. You know, I'm running against a 40 year incumbent. Yeah. Uh, the, and then the final thing to end straight party ticket voting because honestly, um, you know, folks should have to earn their votes. Um, not, not just get a, a carte blanche because of because of the colors they wear yeah. or the tribe they run with. So. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, you know it, it, there's a lot of talk these days about ranked choice voting and and uh, you know anti gerrymandering uh, movements and things like um, um, multi winner districts. Uh, Fairvote.org. We, we've talked to them on several times in past podcasts, and they yeah. have some wonderful ideas in this area. Actually, think- I did. I did feel one of the uh, the fair choice um, or the fair vote. Fair vote and fair, fair vote, choice. Yeah, yeah, fair vote. So I I did link under my like my gerrymandering uh, headline for you know, the for one you know my issues. I did put the link to their new maps. You know, the old map versus the new map, and how the new maps would be so much more, just like just make more sense honestly yeah, yeah. um so it's so so that voters can see yeah this 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 is kind of crazy so yeah it's interesting that uh the um we, we you're running against a comp- an opponent that has had 40 years in office but the alliance mm-hmm. party itself uh insofar as any legislative position is concerned uh you are term limited by the party itself to 12 right. years Right. That's a big advantage because that really that says you know hey we're constantly going to get you know new blood in here and make sure we keep up with new ideas and new ways of thinking and doing things. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. No. I will. I really think that um, not only I I think it's great that the party is is def, you know is definitely encouraged enforcing actually um, term limits, but I think I think the bigger thing would be to make sure that everybody plays by those rules so um to 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 basically put it to law and that i think that you know the ideas though they start small they can they can grow mighty uh and and i think that the majority of constituents and there's been studies say that term limits in all offices are Mm -hmm. necessary yeah Yeah, just um, you have to talk a large number of legislators into um, basically sabotaging their own careers, which 
um, you know, if you truly are putting country first, that shouldn't be an, an issue. There shouldn't be a question. But if you're putting your own career first, then, you know, you have a, you have some hesitation on their part. So, uh, right. it's just a matter of getting new people in there with new ideas and willing to do the right thing for everybody. So, um, let me see, let's uh, sort of kind of wrap this up a little bit, though, but I'd like to, uh, my most important question here is, is what I would call our call to action. How can people get involved in, in your campaign and contribute to your campaign? Uh, that's a great question. I was actually working on this yesterday. Uh, so I'm working on um, my website. It's sarahworkforsc.org or just work for sc org. Either one will take you to my website. There's a contact page on there. You can you can reach out and contact me. You can also email me at sarahworkforsc at gmail.com. Okay. I'm also on Facebook, so there's lots of ways to get in touch with me. The donate page, I have to make I have to make a decision as to what platform I'm going to go with. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that decision hopefully will be made by the end of the week, and okay. and I will have that up and running on Monday. But right now, um, you can just, if you want to reach out and contact me, I'll give you the address you can send the check to. Uh, and just make the you know, check payable to Sarah Work for South Carolina Senate. And it's a Sarah with an H, by the way. S-A-R-A-H. I was just going to ask that. S A R A H. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, you got to put the H on there. So it's, Obviously, that's the hardest part about running the campaign is is getting contributors and people who are are willing to open their pocketbooks, especially in in a situation like we are now with so many people either underemployed or unemployed because because of shutdowns and closings and just the slowing of the economy as a whole. So uh, I I would welcome time, talents, and treasure, and I really you know any opportunity to speak with anyone about potential platform ideas or you know just the needs of the community i would i would so welcome that discussion wonderful yeah with people a lot of people out of work um, they have some time on their hands so if they uh, you know obviously if you can't donate you can donate can't donate finances you can donate your time and and uh, help raise awareness yeah absolutely i'd appreciate that okay totally Wonderful. Well, we've been talking with Sarah Work, who's running for the 14th state senator position in South Carolina. Sarah, it's been a pleasure talking with you again this evening, and I hope we can get you back on a podcast sometime soon. Thank you so much, Dan. I appreciate it. Every time this is fun. Up next is Brad Svensson, who's running for the U.S. 2nd Congressional District in Minnesota. Brad's highest priority emphasizes family. Now, this may sound trite at first, but You know, when you think about it, the examples we set for our children will have profound consequences on the future of our country. Brad believes that the current administration, along with all the associated cronies, has made extremism an almost everyday occurrence. Exacerbating this senseless pursuit are the main political opponents to this administration who have now jumped into the fight, and as a result, we are in one of the most troublesome political periods we've seen in a lifetime. Brad has had the experience of his own children asking for clarification of this mess, and he struggles to explain. His children end up hurt and confused. They deserve better, Brad believes. We are sorely in need of a new third direction. How to get out of this political nightmare? Brad believes that we need to reshape our government as well as reestablish faith in the system once again. 
Our faith in our current leaders and representatives has dropped to some of the lowest numbers we've ever seen. It is truly time to bring civility and critical thinking back into our government. In his personal life, Brad is a father, a husband, and an entrepreneur who has lived and created businesses in the 2nd Congressional District for most of his life. His children go to the same schools that he attended and have even had some of the same teachers. Brad owns a custom furniture shop in Farmington, Minnesota, and is thrilled to have the opportunity to work alongside his wife at this business. Brad believes that we need to have more people in our government that work with their hands, artists, plumbers, electricians, nurses, teachers, police officers, and any of the millions of us who have to fight every day to make sure our families have food, shelter, and love. Having been self-employed most of his adult life, Brad's views on taxes, government, labor, and many other issues are well-informed. He's never forgotten where he came from, and he'll never forget the people he will represent should he have the privilege of attaining the office of U.S. Representative for the 2nd Congressional District of Minnesota. Brad, welcome to the Alliance Party After Dark, and thank you for joining us this evening. Thank you. It is what a what a wonderful thing hearing uh, my hearing myself hearing about myself. That is uh, that is kind of pleasing. <laughs> I could do that again. Well, I didn't have to make any of that up either. I just uh, got most of that information from your website, and uh, seems like uh, seems like you have a wonderful life there. In fact, I want to talk a little bit about your motivation. You, you're you're an, obviously an Absolutely. entrepreneur, a loving father, and a husband, and an employer. And you live in a community that you've loved and respected your whole life. It seems to a guy like me that, you know, you're living the dream. So what motivates you to get involved in politics and what differences do you hope to make? Well, let's 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 go back just a little bit. Uh, so living the dream is absolutely something I think that I'm doing. But let's not let's not mistake living the dream with ease. Right. Like everything. I do is dependent on making sure that my family is 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 well taken care of and we fight every day to make sure that that they're fed they're clothed that the roof over their head stays put and when things are fighting you when the world is fighting you you have to fight harder so while I live the dream that also creates more of a peaks and valleys, let's say, in the danger levels of, of life. And so it's been, I have my, my eldest daughter has Down syndrome. I have a special needs daughter. And uh, with, along with all the issues with that, we, we, we have all of these things that are constantly fighting us. And we have succeeded, to be perfectly honest, we have won at least the battles, not the war. We're still not at the end, but we have been able to live a dream, but from nothing more than just working our butts off. And uh, it's a huge, huge deal. So when it comes to motivation, when you think about it, when you see an election like we did in 2016 and your children who have depended on you, when you, they've seen you fight and they've seen you put everything, blood, sweat, tears, everything that you've got into making life good and the world around you is just going nuts. It's going crazy. You see this crazy election and they're hurt. They, they don't, they don't understand like what is going on here. Cause it seems to them at this point that it's now going to intrude upon our lives. And it seemed to me like that too. And they wanted me to do something about it. I literally had no idea what to do. Like how, how do I change this thing? And well, if I'm a fighter and I'm going to fight for my family, well, what do I got to do? Well, the only thing I can do is to go out there and try and change it. And uh, it's literally my, well, gosh, she's 15 now. She's my, she has her driver's permit, by the way. I'm that old. Mm. Uh, she was 11, 10, 11, 
12, so right around there. Uh, she, uh, <laughs> she convinced me by asking me, well, what can you do, Daddy? And honestly, I went out and I, I, I right then, the next day, started researching. And I have not stopped since 2016 trying to do something about making a difference and changing the world. And it's, it's, it's a tough thing to do when you're self-employed. You have children you got to take care of. Yeah, uh, especially ones with special needs, but it's a fight that is absolutely worth it, and they embrace it. They love it. They they wear my campaign shirts to school. Like it's a, it, they're some of my biggest supporters, and one of the greatest feelings in the, in the world to have your kids rooting for you like that. Oh they yeah, that's a big advantage to have your children uh, rooting for you and and supporting you in this, and also of course your wife as well. Oh man, life without my wife would have been uh, not worth it. Like that, that lady has put, I don't know how she does it or how I deserved it, but she has believed in every crazy idea I've had and said, all right, let's try it. And uh, while I've failed enough as an entrepreneur, I've also been very good at certain things and I wouldn't have gotten there without her either. So the most important part here is that she said, yeah, let's do it. And uh, then okay. there was nothing held me back at that point. So then, um, Having made that decision then to run, uh, now you have uh, obviously a lot of challenges in front of you, but I would imagine one of the challenges um, is uh, trying to figure out, you know, what are the important issues that are facing the people in the 2nd Congressional District of Minnesota, and and how do you how do you plan to address them? Can you sort of tell us what are the main issues? I, I love this one because it always makes partisans super angry because they always want to know where you stand or what, you're, what, what are the issues, what are you going to run on, and... Uh, when I got into this, I, I realized that, well, no matter what I believe in, if you're not willing to sit at the table and talk to me, it really doesn't matter. So the biggest issue came down to me, and there's more, and this, is, this has changed over time as I've become more knowledgeable and, and, and aware of what's going on. But the biggest thing for me has always been, from the very moment, was partisanship. The reality is, is if all you're doing is yelling and screaming at each other and calling each other names and unwilling to sit and talk about an issue, it doesn't matter what our issues are. Everything has the opportunity to be fixed and worked on if you're willing to sit and talk. The simple fact is, is that if you're pro to, you know, Second Amendment, you're not going to sit and talk to somebody who's anti-Second Amendment. Mm -hmm. Okay, They're not going to sit and get together and go, okay, there's a conversation here. What do we have to do? No, they're going to sling, you know, shoots and arrows, not shoots and arrows. They're going to sling arrows and, and mud. And all of a sudden, nothing gets done. We're, we're stuck with the status quo and we're all angry. And so the reality is, is that if we can talk about all these issues, the biggest issue, the one that matters the most is the fact that people just won't sit and talk and deal with these issues that they think that we have. And uh, it's, it's easy to, you know, to, to fling mud, right? Right. It, it it makes people, it's emotional. It, it I get it. I understand it. And hell, I've done it myself. Okay. The reality is, though, is that if we're going to try and be better, just to be better Americans, to be better people, to be better at anything, you have to be able to swallow your pride and say, okay, let's talk. And right. we don't have that. I've had, you know, again, as, a, as, a, as an entrepreneur, as a, as a man who's failed at business before and succeeded, I've had to swallow my pride. And that is one of the most humbling experiences when you have to go, okay, let's have this conversation. Well, that's what this is about is, is allowing people to go, okay, let's talk, come to the table. Let's have this conversation. Why, how do you, why do you feel this way? What's, what can we talk about? Where can we go? And we're just not getting any of that. Yeah. None of it. 
Well, I think a lot of these issues, um, you, know, you talk about the Second Amendment, for example. I mean, it, it is a real issue, but but the thing is that uh, both of the major parties out there, I personally believe, have, have uh, created a lot of this polarization so that they could divide and conquer the uh, the voter, you know, and, and in the middle there are reasonable people uh, such as yourself and, and myself and probably, you know, a growing number of, of per, growing percentage of people who really do want to talk about the issues. And when you think about it, the legislature is the person that's supposed to be able to talk about the issues, not just go in and, and uh, say my way or the well, highway. Right. Well, that's, you know, and there's the issues that they're supposed to be representing us. Right. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, and this is this is a beautiful thing. When I started when I started looking into this researching how to get it, you know, to get moving uh, in, in politics, I found and it's funny and I'm still trying to find it. So please don't don't call me out on my reference. I will find it at some point here. I found this and I swear it's a Rasmussen poll, but it turns out that 61 percent of us essentially sit between the 40s on the political spectrum, which means right. most of us are somewhere, le- you know, center left or center right. Right. And that means 39 percent of us don't. Well, fair. But 61 percent of us are the largest voting bloc in America. We actually could control things, but we are literally the silent majority. Yeah. And that's that's where people like you and I come in. And I I, I love that when I when I joined this party, uh, one of the things I saw on Wikipedia is that they are considered radical centrist. <laughs> and uh, I love like I love this term. It makes me <laughs> Oh, it makes me so happy because you're right. See, and, and that's the that's the reaction I get from everybody. Oh, what an ox! Here's the thing, though, is if you want to take the joke side of it, radical centrism is more just about being a non-silent majority, right? So yeah. it's more about being radical by being loud. Um, I am six foot two, three hundred pounds, and look like I might eat your mother. I don't look like a politician, and I don't do subtle, mm-hmm. but I'm absolutely in that sixty-one percent. So I can't be anything but radical, right? So the reality is, is that it takes that, that it takes, how do I put, so you don't, you cannot look at this as something where the, the, the silent majority can stay silent. They need a focal point. They need somebody to stand up and go, no, get behind me. I got broad shoulders. I can carry you. Let's go. And mm-hmm. that scares the extremists. That scares the partisans because we don't work inside their you know, in their view, right? Their right. their view of the world and their their crazy partisan ideas, and and so here I am, being loud, being radical, and it's such a wonderful, freeing experience that I I wake up mornings going, hell yes, I'm mm-hmm. a radical centrist, and it's fun. No, yeah. it's interesting know, when, right? when they talk about you know the, the they, oftentimes you hear the word bipartisan. Uh, being thrown okay. around in Washington, and that that just you know the word "by" meaning two, so um, yep. the, the, it's very issue. When, or it's very easy when you only have two parties to divide an issue into two parts, and then have those two parts fight each other. So, what you're saying is well, that you know, this is wrong, right? Oh no, it's beyond wrong. And the funniest thing is, it's, it's, look at it this way: a good story has a bad guy and a good guy, right? Mm-hmm. Everything we do, news is about conflict. There's a good guy, there's a right side. There's a, you know what I mean? Like the reality is, is that everything we look at when we talk about a good story or a good thing has left and right or has right and wrong. It has good and bad, right? The thing is, though, is that if you want ice cream, you can go to 50 different places 
and get ice cream, right? Right. The thing is that we live our lives in reality, not in this bipolar, you know, situation. We actually have choices. We have these ways. But in politics, we only go with one. Yeah. And that, you know, one or the other, right? Like we were being forced. The 61% is being forced to go hard left or hard right. When the reality is, is that most of us don't want to go that way. But we've been convinced with you know hundreds of years worth of partisanship of to this point where it's it seems like this dead issue that you just can't you can't make headway mm-hmm. in a in a bipartisan pardon me a bipartisan situation and that that to me is one of the grossest uh mm-hmm. grossest inequities that we have in america yeah it's interesting when i was talking to i think it was drew penrose i talked to uh uh, or we talked on on the uh podcast uh on april 19th version of the podcast i believe it was him i talked to so many people i forget who said what but he made this (laughs) try campaigning my friends try campaigning (laughs) he made this observation that the united states is the only democracy where there's just two parties right for all intents and purposes there's only two parties and yeah. that's, that's an interesting observation because, you know, my wife, actually, she's from the Netherlands. So she was born and raised in Amsterdam and they have multiple parties over there and it just works out fine. And there nobody has a absolute majority over there. So they're all forced to work together to solve the issues. It doesn't mean that there are no issues, but at least they're talking. I, you're right. Well, so <laughs> you kind of hit on the uh the, the thing here, and this is, I, I, I've dealt with this with my strategy guy and just in doing the research, the funniest thing about this is that the arguments that partisans have is that their parties are coalitions mm-hmm. and then their parties represent the coalition. But in Netherlands, England, and, and, and many other, you know, Western style democracies, they have actual coalitions where different parties have to get together to make some stuff work. Mm-hmm. That coalition building literally, generally, and not always, generally gets you to a reasonable center solution. Mm-hmm. But when you have two parties, you lose coalition because you have the only coalition you can now have is between the two parties. And that doesn't work in a broader coalition because you and I, let's say we, you vote for a Democrat and I vote for a Republican. Well, we believe in the same things. Right. Where are we being served in this coalition? We really aren't. And so coalition building and having multiple parties actually makes more sense than having these umbrellas of coalition with the, you know, the illusory version of a coalition. And it, it's, it's a sickening excuse. And to be honest with you, I think it's more of a, just a way for them to justify having it that way and not allowing people like us to have free will. Yeah, but that seemed like an extremist statement, so I apologize. No, no, it's uh, <laughs> I uh, from everything I've heard, it's pretty reasonable. It's interesting that you know we we actually I don't want to plug my previous shows either, but we had Lee Drutman on uh, the show on on March twenty second, and he uh, he wrote a, he wrote this book, uh, a case for multi party democracy in America, and um, he uh, actually went back into like the little bit of history going back to the nineteen fifties. In, in in this book, I'm saying he went back into like the nineteen fifties. And talked about how the Republican Party and Democratic Party, yes, they were just two parties, but they actually had within each party two separate coalitions. He said, so in a sense, you actually had four parties out there. But he said, you know, over the years, especially accelerating like in the 1990s, the, the, 
the all these these coalitions within the parties they converged into this one and so now you really just have you know uh, not just by name, but but by practice, you really just have two parties, <clears throat> two major parties at this point. No, and and actually, I have a great example here in my district. We had a uh, while doing uh, opponent research, we were trying to figure out who on the Republican side was going to be running on the ticket, and there was this older man from Prior Lake who was going to be running, and he's a lawyer. He's seventy years old, roughly. Um, he'd run or even represented uh, Michigan in their state house before uh, pretty reasonable guy kind of in that, in that, that wonderful, I've got some knowledge, but I, you know, I'm trying to figure this stuff out. Well, impeachment happens. Mm-hmm. And this guy comes out in favor of impeachment. Wow. Now he's trying to run as a Republican, right? Right. Here's the thing. The Republican party and all of the supporters ate him up alive. Yeah. So rather than having independent thought, and as a lawyer going, hey, listen, I see this here and here, here and here. No, they kicked him out. Yeah. He's gone. He yeah. is no longer running. He doesn't talk like we don't even know where he's at. And so not only do we not have the ability within these parties to have this broad quote coalition, I'm going to air quote that for you here. Um, they will actively try to keep those things from happening within their uh, yeah. within their parties. You talked about you know towing the party line and and uh, being kicked out of the party if you don't tow the party line. One, one thing I find out interesting about the Alliance Party, and it, it really took me a while to get my head around this, is that the party has no whip. Okay, what that means is that at least in my mind, what that means is there is nobody out there forcing the party line onto every single person out there, basically getting out the whip and whipping them. I guess maybe that's where the word comes from. Um, so. That is, I, I think, a, a, a very big advantage that the Alliance Party brings to the table. No doubt. I actually, well, we've been uh, the, the Independence Alliance Party. So I'm part of the Independence Alliance Party, which mm-hmm. joined the, the broader natu- national party. Uh, we've been like that. And it's one of the things that drew me to it because they're actually putting into effect this idea of coalition, right? Mm-hmm. Where they're saying, no, we can disagree. But broadly, we agree on many things, but we have these, this capability of, of finding a consensus through negotiation and talk, as opposed to saying, no, you must be this. No, you, can't, you cannot be part of this party unless you, you, you vote for impeachment or you don't vote. You know, no, no, no. Right. We're, we have some people that didn't believe that impeachment was the right issue. Uh, I, I was the opposite. I was absolutely for it. But... I got there through research and not a knee-jerk reaction. And our party's not going to say, hey, that's not acceptable. We're saying, no, listen, we need a broad coalition of people with great ideas, and we got to bring them together. And that's we, – we are putting it into practice. Now, we could lose that like the other parties. We have to be actively working towards keeping it. Right. And that's a tough thing. So as long as, you know – both you and I, we have to work every day to make sure that we are not trying to have an echo chamber, but to have disagreement, to to be able to talk about something and have our beliefs challenged once in a while, because the reality is, is that's how we become better people. Yeah. And we need that. Yeah. Well, I think just by the nature of, the, of, of mathematics, really, when you bring in more than two parties, you're you're when ideally uh, in a multi-party system, no party has um, and, and no party can can. Um, govern in exclusion of the other parties, it forces there to be discussions. It forces there to be coalition building. 
which is exactly what we want our legislators to do. And that we want them to, but we don't trust them. We don't like them. We, you know what I mean? Like that's the whole irony here is that we have these great grand ideals, but generally we don't trust them anymore. And it's, it's such this crazy, like you and I can talk about that and we actually mean it. We understand it. We believe it, but we have that job of spreading the word and trying to convince people that no, it's possible to actually have trust and faith in people like us. Right. And it's it's tough because the people that are trying to fight against us are actively doing the exact opposite. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a scary thing. Well, it is because it undermines the um, the government and it undermines the institutions of the government that are uh, ultimately here to, um, you know, as they say, ensure domestic tranquility and provide for the common defense and so on. So it's like, uh, like, like serve the people. Right. right exactly. Uh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right? These are not leaders. They're not supposed to be leaders. They're representatives. And yeah. there's a very big difference between a leader and a representative. You're supposed to be representing us, not leading us. And I think our parties, the, the two major parties, have have kind of lost sight of the idea of serving anybody besides themselves. And that's, yeah. that's I, how, how do you fight that when they actively can exclude you and they don't... It, it, Put it this way. If you look at what Mitch McConnell has done in the Senate, can you tell me that there's any reason that you believe that it's all about representing people or is it about representing his party? Right. And the reality is, if you look at it logically, this is a representing his party issue, not a representing the people issue. Yeah. And that that to me, it, and I'm sure, man, maybe I'm using a lot of hyperbole here, but we can actually get down to it. The, the greatest injustice we have in America is that our representatives don't actually represent us anymore. Yeah. We have nothing. What we, it's, and that's, that's what we're combat, combating. The war that we're fighting is having actual representation. Well, there's, that's, yeah. That's, uh, yeah. <laughs> that, that's pretty obvious when you look at things like uh, gerrymandered, highly gerrymandered districts and, um, yeah, the, the 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 true nature of our right. even our voting process is this uh, plurality voting system, which you can only vote for one person, and it ends up you basically don't vote for a person, but you vote against a person. So it's um, <laughs> choices are limited. Is, well, now this is why we like ranked choice, and there's there's actually other ways to vote that actually make a lot more sense and actually are more accurate, but we don't allow that because again, uh, they want the buy you know, the bipolar choice, right? They want that single yes or no. They want the black and white. They want the left and right. And the way that they want this voting is to force that. And if they allowed you to make multiple decisions, you'd actually get closer to what a representative would be. Yeah. And that scares them. Yeah. It takes them out of power, right? It takes their their ability to have, to wield power, to to change other people to their whim. Is And that's uh, that's scary to people in power, right? Yeah. That is scary, and uh, they build high castle walls to protect themselves in that uh, in that little domain. So, yeah. uh, yes, they do. This is uh, you kind of see now why it takes a warrior and somebody who's a radical centrist to go out there and you know beat down the walls. And that's kind of it's sad, but that's why I'm here. I, I recognize that I'm uniquely suited to do such a thing. And I'm not saying I'm the best that man. Listen, if there was a better option out there, I would rather see them and I would support the heck out of them. Right? Yeah. But right now, it, for people like us, the 61%, the largest voting block in America, they need somebody with broad shoulders, six foot two, 300 pounds, and looks like he might eat your mother to go and bang on a couple walls. Yeah. Um, that's it, it, we, 
you can tell me you want reasonable, but the fact is, is I'm going to tell you every single day, it's okay to be angry. You want me to go out there and be this rational, reasonable person. But the fact is that we should, we should, as that 61% be raging, angry and pissed off that this is what's happening to us. And without that, that, that righteous anger, the real, the, the real anger of being abused by this government, you aren't going to change it. And I am that focal point. I'm the guy who's trying to push that. And I, I know that, uh, listen, people are going to listen to the podcast and go, well, that's not exactly what we want. I am part of that coalition, but I also do disagree. We need to go out there and fight. And we got to show people it's okay to be angry and to go out there and make a change. So um, it, 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 along those lines, then, um, you're an entrepreneur, and, and you can tell me all about, you know, having the importance of having this, <laughs> quote, unfair advantage in business. So... Um, Based on everything we've said so far, I mean, I, I kind of know what the answer is going to be, but what is your unfair advantage that you're bringing to the table to challenge the uh, incumbent? <laughs> uh, honestly, it's a couple things. One, I, I, I don't look, act, or behave like a politician. I am not here to serve a party. I have literally one special interest, and that's that's people. That's That's the people that are supposed to be represented, and it's it's impossible to find that in anybody else right now. And if you want an unfair advantage, it really comes down to, I don't have a political master. And it's, it's amazing that I can go. In fact, I, let me, let me do this. Let's take a step back to last year. We had the state fair here in Minnesota. I met thousands of people and I was able to sign a whole bunch of people up. Why? Just from the simple fact that I could meet them. The thing is, is that while we didn't always agree what happened is that they saw that there was somebody that didn't just care about representing this party and party talking points, right? They were saying, hey, listen, I I disagree with you on this, but my God, I need somebody that's actually going to go out there and fight as opposed to just toe a line. And my whole staff, my whole staff is literally from people I met at the state fair. Hmm. That is people that never had an idea that they wanted to do stuff or had been cheated and bitter and got out. And my whole staff now is filled with veterans and teachers and police officers and union labor and all of these different disparate groups who are going, wait a second, we're tired, we're sick, and I want somebody to actually fight for me. And I'll, God, I sound like a hyperbolic, uh, hmm. crazy ad, don't I? I'm so sorry. No, this <laughs> is really, you, you actually, uh, it's, it's very inspiring what you're saying there because, you know, people, you're just approaching strangers and people immediately get it, right? That, that, my friend, my strategist is a, uh, God, I I, I hate admitting this, but I love this guy so much. He's a 22-year-old man with, uh, uh, he's on the spectrum, sorry. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's the best thinker I've ever had. He actually worked for the DFL. He was a paid DFL person. Okay. Do you you know what the DFL is? Sorry, our Democratic Farmer Labor Union is the... Mm-hmm. version of Democrats we have here. Okay. <laughs> so he's, he was a Democrat. He works for the Democrat. He got paid by the Democrats. He's now working for me as my strategist, not because he is uh, a, a pure DFLer. What he is, though, is he's a reasonable, rational guy who goes, God dang, I need somebody to fight, and this guy's going to fight. Let's go do this. Mm-hmm. And when you can change paid members of, people, you know, of other parties to go, wait a second, this is where I'm going to go. This makes more sense. And you start looking at vets who are working alongside teachers who are working alongside DFL guys. And 
libertarians, all of a sudden they're working on my campaign. You go, okay, there's something here. This is my superpower. So my strategist has his superpower of being able to look at things and to create these beautiful narratives and ideas and strategies, whereas mine is I can show people and poke, poke that bubble and go, hey, let's go fight. I got you. And all of a sudden they can realize maybe there is a different way. And while I have my, I have my own kryptonite, please don't think I don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is my super this is my superpower. My power is to get out there and engage. And uh, that's a that's a beautiful thing sometimes when you walk away and you're like, I did something there and it worked. Yeah. And it's going to change things for people around us. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. That's great. So you've Sorry. surrounded yourself with uh, <laughs> with motivated people, and it it uh, sounds to me like you um, um, didn't really have to do a lot of convincing in order to get them on your team. No, no. In fact, I would tell you that a vast majority of them contacted me. Wow. Uh, I didn't have to go looking; they came to me, and it was uh, it was refreshing because I honestly thought that I was going to have to you know fight, kick, scream, steal, beg to get people to work with me, and all of a sudden. People were just calling saying, hey, I'm in. And I, what? Huh? Wow, that's What's going on? Really? Yeah. <laughs> that's where, and, and that's how I knew what I was doing was the right thing. I wasn't wrong. And to be honest, at the state fair, so last August, I wasn't convinced I was going to keep moving because uh, I kind of fought hard and ended up not, I don't know, you become a little bit bitter and jaded when everything's just going against you. But mm-hmm. The reality is, is that election, that, that 2016 election has drawn people, that, that 61%, to that idea that maybe change is coming and maybe change has to happen. And holy crap, there's this disruptive force, this change agent. I'm going to go over there. Yeah. And that, that, that right there is an, it's such a beautiful thing that I can't stop but, but serve that idea and serve those people. And it's... Uh, uh, so it's so it's like I'm getting goosebumps talking about it. Like it's such an amazing thing. Well, that's uh, that's definitely your unfair advantage, and you're bringing a, a real good uh, sense of relationship with people and uh, uh, picking up that sixty uh, percent that um, feel in some ways disadva- uh, disenfranchised from the system that's out there. So uh, that's a absolutely, and that's yeah. hey. Radical centrism at its best, my friend. Radical centrism. So at first I said it was an oxymoron, but you've convinced me now that it's not. So, so um, <laughs> no, but see, there it is, and that's the conversation we have, right? Mm-hmm. And this is how it works everywhere else because it's funny. It's you talk about it, and all of a sudden you go, "Holy crap, it's right!" Yeah. <laughs> and so embrace it, man. Embrace it. Wield it like a club, and that's that's the thing is that once people start seeing it, and you're not a jerk about it, right? Don't go around being a jerk. That's not going to get you anything. Right. But the reality is, once you meet people who are reasonable and rational and aren't taking knee-jerk reactions, radical centrism is truly something that is is probably the best thing we have. And uh, people are starting to realize it, man. It's it, one person at a time. Don't get me wrong. One person at a time. It's not. I'm not convincing thousands and thousands at a moment, but. I'm getting there, and uh, I I love that. I love that radical centrism is going to spread, and uh, it's well, man. Yeah, you've got a, you've got a. uh, um, You just told me before we started talking, and we'll just bring it up right now. You've got a perfect way of spreading that word. You're starting. You're launching your own podcast. So, tell me a little bit more about that. I am. Well, so it started out honestly as as a way for me to embrace and engage with people. Uh, for my campaign. And 
it quickly grew to something where uh, as soon as I, so I was laid off uh, of my, from my job a couple of weeks ago. And I realized that nobody's hiring custom furniture makers right now. So, right. Uh, and act, so let's actually go one quick step back before that. I was self-employed up until November of last year when um, my, the business that I was in furniture making and woodworking died and I couldn't support my family. So I actually had for the first time in 18 years, took a job, full-time job. Mm. And I was just laid off in that job. So I was full-time campaigning while working full-time Wow! <laughs> and uh, I lost that job and now I can't get another job. And I'm like, okay, wait a second. What do I do with my time? I'm campaigning, but I need to support my family. And what I did is I changed this podcast from a campaign thing to just essentially me engaging with people and trying to poke their bubbles, trying to challenge their beliefs. Uh, it's, it's more about, uh, well, and I, I'm not going to actually make this comparison, but I'm going to use it as a way to guidepost it to where I'm going. Uh, there's a show called Adam Ruins Everything, where he will take your beliefs and show you kind of where the truth is and how your beliefs aren't always the truth. Okay. where truth actually matters. And I'm not trying to go out there and be a, you know, be a jerk, but what I want to do is I want to be able to have my, my beliefs challenged, but also to challenge other people's to get them to critically think about situations where if you are a pro to a guy, I want you to come to me and I want you to tell me how you can defend it mm-hmm. and still be okay with the idea of being pro-life. And now that I'm, that may make people angry, but let's have that conversation. If you right. think that pro-life is the way that we should be, but then you're okay with everybody having guns and killing people. Well, there's a conversation there. Right. I'm not saying I'm for or against either of those, but you now have to justify your beliefs. Let's talk. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to make some enemies. I'm going to make some friends. I'm going to poke some bubbles and I'm not, you know, it's going to be one of those things where I'm going to find bits of conflict, but not to, to be mean, but to find a way of getting a conversation started. And the people that are working with me are people that work outside of the, the knee jerk situations of, of politics and life. So it's not even just going to be about politics. It's going to be about just life. And Perfect. it's uh, dis- not distorting, but, but allowing people to find truth in a critical way and to rethink and reimagine how they, they, live their lives and uh i cannot wait to be honest with you it is the greatest setup i've ever had like i've never been in a position with such great people doing such a thing where it's it's an extension of my campaign without actually being a part of it so what's the uh what's the podcast and how do we get a hold of it all right so the podcast is good It's, it's called watchdog radio podcast um the watchdog part of it is about being the guy that stands there and well you're a watchdog. You're a watchdog on the truth. You're a watchdog in America. You're a watchdog on just things like, let's talk. Let's, is this right? Is this wrong? Is it where it's at? So the web, the website is uh, watchdogpodcast.com. All one uh, word. Yep. All one yep. word. Uh, it will be available on all the major, major systems. And frankly, I think we're going to be launching in the next 10 days. Okay. Um, but uh, I, I've had a couple other people show up to do some interviews, so I might be changing that just to kind of make things a little bit smoother. But uh, within within the next 14 days, I'll have some sort of thing being published. But uh, if they go to the website, they can go there. 
Now, uh, as part of that podcast, one of the other things that we're doing is that we are going to be, uh, we've already got some signups here. So we are trying to help uh, small businesses. So we actually have a program there. We call it for whatever, for better or worse, we call it the Small Business Initiative, uh, where we're taking uh, small businesses, anybody, any small business from across the country or even the world at this point, who wants to get some advertising, we will do it for free. We will mention you and talk to you, talk about you on the podcast and advertise you on all our social media and website. And all you got to do is sign up. Uh, it's right there on our website. And uh, if, if you're an entrepreneur or you need a little bit of extra advertising, go to the website that's watchdogpodcast.com and we will get you up there and we will do whatever we can to help get you more business in this crazy COVID time. That's it's, wonderful. Uh, it's a huge yeah. deal for us. Yeah, there's a lot of businesses you know, out there that, uh, a lot of people out there that are really hurting at this point, and that's uh, really good that you can contribute in uh, in that way to help people and their businesses. What, yeah, whatever little amount I'm able to do, if it's one one extra sale, one extra to look at the business, whatever I can do, I want to be able to do it. This is this is. If I had been in this position and self-employed, this is something that I would use. And it was, it was, as soon as we came up with this idea, it was, it was like, it's like lightning hit. Yep. That's what we got to do. Let's go out there and let's get these people. Let's do what we can. And that was, all of this was happening right about the time that I was, I got laid off and all of a sudden, yep, this is where we need to be. Yeah. It made more sense. And uh, now we can help. And, and, and again, it's, if we work together again, agree with me or disagree, but if I can help, I'm going to do it. And we got to live those words that we preach. And that's what this podcast is going to do is it's going to do what I can, whether you like me or not, whether you, you need it or not, or we agree. If I can help, I'm going to do it. And no, that's, gonna, that's a huge, huge thing. I'm definitely going to tune into that. And um, also, there's um, just one final question I want to ask you is uh, back to your uh, campaign. Um, this is what I yeah. call the call to action. Uh, how can people who are listening to this podcast, how can they get involved in your campaign? How can they contribute to uh, time or treasure or whatever? Uh, the best thing that we can do, because, again, let's be perfectly honest, and I know we didn't get to it uh, here, is in the time of COVID, I can't go out there and use my superpower on people personally. And so what it means is I have to engage uh, in social media and on, well, in any way, shape or form, that's not me face to face. So it takes money to advertise. So right now what we're doing, we, we're doing everything we can to raise money. You can go to our website, which is vote for the number four brad.org. Again, vote the number four brad.org. And uh, there's a donate button there. A dollar, five dollars, doesn't matter, whatever it takes. Uh, will help us get the word out. And uh, if we can go out there and poke bubbles with an extra dollar, we're going to go do it, my friend. And uh, that's the biggest thing. If we can get, get that money there, there's not only a path, but a way for us to actually change how our government works. Sure. And uh, if you got an extra dollar to throw that way, we could definitely use it. Wonderful. Yeah, and as the uh, as time draws nearer to the actual election itself, you'll probably be looking for people to put lawn signs up and uh, maybe hand out some uh, brochures at the doors and things like that. So that's uh, yeah, we are, and, and in fact, and one of the things that we're going to be doing is uh, we have these signs going up that uh, say "Who is Brad Svenson?" Yeah, and okay. uh, what we're trying to do is not just put up signs, even in my district, but everywhere. Uh, the idea is that if we can get people to ask the question who I am, they're going to have to go find me. And at some point, they're going to be bothered enough to go look. 
Yeah. And uh, it's one of those simple little advertising things. It doesn't take a lot of money and you can make the sign yourself. Who is Brad Svensson? And uh, that will bring curiosity. And if you come in curious, you're more open to at least talk and think and look at something. And we're doing every little thing we can with as little money as we've got to get the word out. And uh, signs like that and other ways, just those are hugely important to us. So again, if you want to call to action, you want a second one, we need signs out there that say, who is Brad Svensson? Okay. Yeah, that's good. So uh, we're we're running up at the end of the uh, at the end of our time slot here. Um, I just uh, do you have anything else you want to add before we uh, call it quits? No, man. I, I I wish that I did. I, we've gotten a lot of talking, but the idea is embrace radical centrism, be okay. loud, be reasonable, and uh, be safe, man. It's yeah. crazy out there. Well, I got another sign. I got another sign for you. Uh, Radical centrism is not an oxymoron. How's that for a sign? (laughs) I I like saving that for personal conversations because it always takes people aback. (laughs) Yeah, it it took me back, too. Once we've made it a a household name, we'll do that, I promise. Okay. Until then, let's save that for that conversation because I know the next time you bring it up in a conversation, it's going to help you. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. (laughs) So we've been uh, we've, we've been talking with Brad Svensson, the Alliance Party's candidate for the U.S. Second Congressional District from Minnesota. Brad, thank you for dropping by this evening and having a chat with us. Hey, thank you so much. Be safe. And thank you everybody for tuning in to the Alliance Party After Dark podcast. Please consider subscribing to this podcast so that you don't miss any new episodes. Each week we'll bring you interesting topics from the Alliance Party. You may subscribe on iTunes, Google, or Spotify. Also, keep in mind that the podcast now has a Twitter page at Alliance On Air. All content for this podcast is copyright the Alliance Party. Views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the Alliance Party. This podcast is a production of the Alliance Party, a decades-long movement of fiscally conservative, moderate, accountable, and reasoned independents, former Democrats, former Republicans, and alienated voters, who demand that our elected officials work in the spirit of nonpartisanship for all constituents and provide a better future for our country. This podcast was made possible by your donations to the Alliance Party. If you'd like to join the Alliance Party, visit our website at theallianceparty.com. Drop in and see what we're all about and get involved. Volunteer your time, make a donation, submit an article or blog, or run for office. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Dan Schaefer, producer of the Alliance Party After Dark podcast, and on behalf of everyone at the Alliance Party, have a wonderful evening, a great week ahead, and we hope you drop in for our next show. Be safe, be aware, and please take care of yourself and those around you.